what got me off the sofa was just feeling the the pain and the the anger of what's going on in our country and um, just not being able to sit and and watch it without um, doing something differently and so I think there are other people that are feeling the same way around us and and other places too. Welcome to Love Your Neighbor. In this episode, Reverend Ann Kirchmeyer speaks with Louise Ragland. Hello friends, this is Saturday, October the 10th, and I am here with one of my parishioners, Louise Ragland, and she has agreed, and I'm so grateful, to do the series of questions that we've been talking about in terms of racism, most of my conversation partners have been people of color. And then my good friend Gail recommended that uh, I ask some of my white folks to answer these questions and get that perspective. So I asked if Louise would be willing for me to interview her. So I'm very grateful to Louise for, for being here. So Louise, how are you doing in the midst of this time? I've made an adjustment. I've gone from playing bridge three times a week to playing online once a week. Um, my faith community has been a little more private. Um, I do get together some weeks with a group of five other women and we pray together and um, share our spiritual lives. So that's, that's a nice link. Mm -hmm. But Bishop Curry said in his podcast that I was listening to last night, you know, we are really um, missing a lot of community. The COVID um, situation has, has just changed our lives, upturned our lives. The political climate has been awful. Yeah. And um, I guess I have um, been trying to be a little more uh, measured about how much news I watch and how much I'm on Facebook mm -hmm. and um, the conversations that I have that way. Those sound, sound like wise strategies, Louise. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful for our health. We're, we're all healthy and um, we are probably on the extreme end of taking safety measures. We don't go out to restaurants and we don't see groups of friends and um, we're mostly just sticking with our families. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, thank you. Shifting a little bit to look um, maybe more intentionally at race and the, the racial tensions and conflict and for many of us white folks, I think some new knowledge about racism what has that current situation been like for you, for your family, and for your congregation, our congregation? Well, I've, I've taken some um, steps back to um, how I was raised and looked closely at what I didn't see as racism at the time, but as I look back, I realized that I was steeped in it. Me too. And, mm -hmm. I grew up with, with plenty. I grew up with um, white privilege, for sure. Um, 
I was remembering when the, the city pools were closed because of segregation, that rather than open them up for integration, they closed them down and they ended up filling them up with dirt. Wow. I know. Were you here, Louise? Where did you grow up? I grew, I grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia. Mm -hmm. we, um, we had a maid in the 1950s. She wore a uniform. She came in either through the basement door or the back door. I don't ever remember seeing her use the front door. Um, she, was tr she had a servant status, you know, as I look back and remember that. And she was a person of color? She was black? She, she was a person of color, yes. Yeah. And then I, I move on to when I was, um, after we were first married, um, we were able to buy a house because of family wealth. Some money was passed on to me so that we could make a down payment on a house. And, um, you know, I look at the comparison of what I was able to do as a young ad married adult and what black people who live in projects and in um, places that they, they can't get out of because that has not been handed down to them. So that's another part of my white privilege. Later on, um, you know, when Carrie had her accident, I certainly lived, we lived with a lot of white privilege. We had an insurance that um, we were able to convince to keep on, keep on helping us, supporting us. Um, I don't think a lot of black families would have had that privilege. Mm. And she was given early intervention for the first year after her accident that put her where she is today. Um, so healthcare, you know, there's such a, a divide there. Yes. And of course, I know, you know, this, we're seeing it now with COVID that, you know, people of color are so much more likely to become very ill and or die from COVID than yeah. people who are white. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you, you experienced the, the visual of, um, President Trump's team of nurses and doctors lined up as they gave the announcement about how he was doing. And I looked at all that team of people and I thought, wow, you know, when we look at, compare that to what the average person is, is given, um, there's a big divide there. Yeah, yes, yeah, you're right. So we're, we're jumping around a little bit, which is fine. Um, did you get a chance to say what you wanted to for the, you know, the current situation for you and your family and your congregation? Well, for the congregation, I think we're dabbling a little bit into how racism is affecting our lives or the lives of people we know mm -hmm. and how we're contributing to that. And we're, um, I am skipping all around because it all goes together for me. It's okay. um, <laughs> I think um, what got me off the sofa was just feeling the, the pain and the, 
the anger of what's going on in our country and um, just not being able to sit and, and watch it without um, doing something differently. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are other people that are feeling the same way. Right. Not just in our nation, but, you know, and around us and in other places too. Right. If things are going to change, we need to do some things differently. And in my take on it, certainly white people need to do some things differently. And so I, I love that phrase, what got me up off the sofa. Yeah. Yeah. Kept you moving. Yeah. So you've actually, you talked a little bit about this, the, the question about how have you personally experienced racism in terms of the side of the white privilege piece, but, you know, talking about the, the maid that your family had and the, the closing, the intentional closing of the pools so that there would not be integration. Was there anything else you wanted to say in, in there? Well, we had a lot, wonderful library that we went to, but no black people could come to the library either. Wow. Um, another thing that really struck me about um, how I experienced racism was after Barack Obama was elected president, there was never a prouder moment in, in my history than I can remember than that happening. And I think... Um, I thought, well, you know, we have really come around the corner now. Things are, things have turned. But instead, what I found out was that there was a backlash of hate and um, really bad feelings that came came as as a result of that. Right. And so, what you thought had happened you were quickly brought into realizing, oh, it's not what I had hoped or what I had thought. Yeah. Yeah. And that surprise. Um, I wonder, that makes me wonder how many, I mean, again, you and I are two white people talking about this. How were our black friends and colleagues surprised by that backlash? Or was it something that, um, was more predictable from their own experience than maybe from, from ours. I, I don't know. They may have known better, you know, yeah. they, they, they were raising black sons that um, were being stopped by policemen and that hasn't changed. Right. Treated differently. And um, just had a, a different standard. You know, we're all aware right now of the Black Lives Matter movement. And what, what does that signify or mean for you when you think about Black Lives Matter? What is that? Well, I think about the police brutality and how long it has gone on, but we haven't had a face for it. But we've got right many faces right now. Sure do. It's, it's not something abstract that we don't really um, know what's going, what's happened. We've gotten a lot of details. Um, mm-hmm. the, I, was, I'm, I was interested in knowing more about the Second Amendment and I'm not getting into a political thing about the Second Amendment at all, but when I looked it up to, to read about it, it said that 
um, in 1870-something or other, the mm-hmm. Second Amendment created so that people could bear arms, the right to bear arms. And this was for um, local groups, because at that time, the country didn't trust having a, um, a professional national army. They just didn't think that that was something that they wanted. Mm-hmm. But what's, what was in, is interesting to me is that um, the right to bear arms was given only to white people. Black people couldn't bear arms and Native Americans couldn't bear arms. And not only that, but there was a, a tolerance even then for brutality against black people. Um, and then that we, we go on up to the 1960s with the riots and, um, and unrest, and that was all about police brutality. So mm-hmm. here we are in 2020, and um, that's what Black Lives Matter to me. Mm-hmm. That they, they haven't been valued. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what that's all about. Remember standing on the corner um, that last fall and holding up our signs? Yes. And the faces of the, the people that in the cars, most of, most of them were black families, black men, black women, and they were they just that connection with them face to face. It it really was empowering to me. Right. It's very moving. Yes. Mm-hmm. I had that same experience. Yeah. So from your perspective and your learning and your thinking about it, um, what can white Christians do to be allies for people of color? I think forming our own opinions about what, what matters and um, expressing those either in conversations to people or to um, community leaders policies are made. Um, there's a website that um, I have tapped into. It's, it's called the Episcopal Public Policy Network. Yes, I love and it. And you go to that, you can, um, they will send you alerts, and then you can um, check the boxes of the things that matter to you. And the script is already written. You just, it stands on. Um, just finding ways to tap into our passion. I think that that is real important to to not ignore what's down there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes you more alive, I think, to mm -hmm. be paying attention to your passion. Um, You know, studying the the Old Testament was interesting last, last fall. We studied the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Hosea. And, you know, I, I um, would say, go back and read, read those. And, and look at what social justice looks like back then. And see if it, is there any comparison to today? Are there, are there some similarities? I know you know this, but I, whenever I think about the book of Amos, that was what Martin Luther King Jr. was quoting about justice rolling down like waters. I mean, there's an Old Testament prophet uh, 
being brought into the civil mm -hmm. rights struggle. Yeah. Right. Lots of good, lots of good stuff. <laughs> um, I was listening to um, Bishop Curry in a podcast with Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about um, Moses being asked to go back and get the Israelites out of Egypt. That, that's something to go back and read about. Yes. Yes. And what it took right. for the hero to say, yeah. Yes. And actually, that's a very, I didn't, I haven't heard the podcast, but just as you're saying that, I'm thinking what a comfort it is. I mean, Moses didn't feel up to it. Moses he wanted those people to be helped, but he didn't think he was the right guy. And he did everything he could to say to God, please don't choose me. And yet in the end, it was Moses that God wanted and God helped him. Um, and so for those of us who. What was it that went with him, Anne? He said, I can't speak, but. Take my brother, Aaron. Aaron. Aaron yes. was the spokesman. Right. And so, and God let him use Aaron, you know, Aaron, Aaron did go with him. So Moses wasn't by himself. Um, but it, for any of us who feel overwhelmed, you know, or uncertain about our capabilities um, to remember the story of Moses, <laughs> you know, we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be faithful. Um, yeah. I definitely want to listen to that podcast. I haven't, haven't heard it yet. So um, is there anything else in particular that you wanted to say before we get to the, the final question about hope? Um, go, go look, look for some of these books that we've been reading. Um, you know, we, we are doing the sacred ground study that the uh, Episcopal church has formatted for us. And, um, be curious about that and give some thought to, becoming part of a group in our church and letting that grow. Um, there's so many good books that are recommended that are part of that. And um, so read, read and stay. immerse your Good advice. Really do it by ourselves in our, um, the comforts of our home. We have to get a little uncomfortable and, and do some, um, well, just some deep thinking. And other people help us to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we're, if what we're reading or who we're talking to, we're comfortable with all the time, it probably means we're not doing the work we really need to be doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Louise, in the middle of this, what is it that gives you hope, if anything, in this situation? I think that the reactions to the killings across the country the, in a positive way, I, I see them as angry groups of people that are not going to go away. Mm -hmm. Give us courage to stand with them. And it feels, it. I don't know, I can't say it feels different from the 60s because I don't remember the 60s, but I'm hoping it's different than than that. I'm hoping it's not going to go away, that people are not going to back off and say, well, you know, we did the best we could, blah, blah. The sports team standing, you know, boycotting. That's, those are some 
um, making some statements because they're talking about where the money is. Right. And it seems like the money drives a lot, awful lot of things. It sure does, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've got, you know, I think we've got a lot of leaders in our country speaking up. They're not ignoring it. And um, we've just got to, the positive for me is that there are a lot of people involved and Bishop Curry, who is at the head of our Episcopal Church, is right there in the middle of it. And gosh, what a blessing to have a black bishop this time. Yes. Louise, I am so grateful to you. One of the things that gives me hope is you <laughs> being part of these discussions with you and your, your willingness to, to be part of this. So typically how we end is that I... Uh, lead us into prayer and then if you're willing to say a few words of prayer and then we'll say the Lord's prayer together. Is that okay with you? Yes. So let us pray. Holy God, I thank you for Louise, for her candor and courage and open heart and willingness to engage in this uncomfortable struggle as we try to learn more about racism and our own complicity in it. I thank you for our congregation and for the others who are also grappling with the difficulties of racism in this time and those who are willing to be uncomfortable so that together we can improve the situation. I pray for your help for our country, for all of us, whatever race or color we are, to respect the dignity of every human being, to honor one another and to listen to one another. I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who came into our midst to be with us. to give you thanks God for opening up our hearts for helping us to want to grow and change and to make our lives and the lives of other people better especially the lives of black people um, we ask you to help us to be vulnerable and in doing that to Accept the places that we might not like so much and to do what we can to, to change that. And I thank you for the resources that have been given to me to, to be here today. Amen. Amen. And Lord, we now pray in the words that you yourself taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So, listener, 
What are you thinking and feeling right now? Are Louise's experiences similar or different from your own? Why is that, and what does it mean? Louise discussed the advantages she had growing up and as an adult, how she had not seen those things as white privilege at the time, how it is easy as a white person to think that systematic inequality and oppression is gone now. Louise emphasized the importance of Black Lives Matter and protests in motivating her to reflect on racism in her life, to talk with others and study so she can better understand and fight racism today. To be challenged by others, to think about things that are uncomfortable so that she can ultimately grow. Reflect on your life. What things have been the most important in getting you to where you are? Did those things come from inherent advantage or disadvantage? Louise also asks you to channel your passions to think about how you can work for anti-racism. Thank you for listening, and thank you for following and sharing Love Your Neighbor. This show is produced by St. Andrew's Episcopal Church, Newport News, Virginia.